Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? he asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. 
So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. What you have just seen portrayed dramatically is part of what is commonly known as the Mount Olivet Discourse. Today is Palm Sunday. This text takes place between Palm Sunday and his Last Supper. It's one or two days after his triumphant entry in Jerusalem where they praised him for the king that he is. Here in Matthew 24, Jesus is answering two important questions actually three questions posed to him by his disciples. Based on what he had said at the end of Matthew chapter 23, where he predicted the destruction of Jerusalem, he lamented over the city, and then they showed him the buildings of the temple prior to going to Mount Olivet, and he said, you see all this stuff? It's coming down. So he had predicted the destruction of the city, and the destruction of the temple. And so 
with those two predictions, his lamenting the destruction of the city and predicting the destruction of the temple, they asked him these two questions or three questions. They said, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They said, tell us, when will these things be? What things? The things he had been talking about, the destruction of the city and the temple. And then the second question, which is a two-parter, so you could say the second question in its whole or the second and third question. Tell us when will these things be? That's the first question. And what will be the sign of your coming? He, was, he had been telling them he's leaving, and they want to know, okay, when are you coming back? So when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age or the end of the world? Now, there are myriads of theories as to what he meant when he began speaking here in Matthew chapter 24. You got your pre-trib, your post-trib, your mid-trib, your pan-tribs. You've got your preterist and partial preterist. But I tend to lean towards Jesus answering these three questions. They are key to understanding Matthew 24. And in light of what we're going through now as a people and as a nation, there's no doubt questions in minds, maybe in your mind. Is this the book of Revelation? Is this the beginning of those plagues? I sure hope not, because one of those plagues destroys a third of mankind, and another one destroys a quarter of mankind. Pretty close to 60% of humanity is wiped out by the plagues in the book of Revelation. I think this is one of those pestilences that the Lord talks about in this chapter. Connecting with what he had said, what follows here in chapter 24? Jesus isn't much of a linear thinker, and neither is Matthew, and I believe he's more like Microsoft Windows. He's a mosaic. He addresses these three questions, you know, being God, who knows the end from the beginning. It's all a big picture to him, and so he's able to speak about it. And so I believe there are certain sections in Matthew chapter 24 that addresses each one of these questions. And I think he begins with the last question. Remember, they asked him, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So I think he begins to address this question, what will be the sign of of the end of the age. He begins, Jesus answered and said to them, verse 4, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. That's what I would like to speak to you about today, the subject, the end is not yet. This is not it. But he begins to give signs that will point to it as he continues speaking. But the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation. We see that. There's so many wars in the world. This word nation is word ethnos. It does not 
always apply, does not have to apply just to countries with borders and governments, but it can apply to races, it can apply to ethnic groups. Ethnos will rise up against ethnos, races against races, tribes against tribes, people within borders, civil wars, uh, border conflicts, tribal wars, trade wars, all sorts of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences. That's what we're experiencing, I believe, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, critics have said, we've always had earthquakes. There were definitely earthquakes here in chapter 24 that occurred before 70 AD when the city and temple were destroyed. There were lots of earthquakes in the world. But I believe every generation has earthquakes as signs to point to the end of time and to point to the Lord's return. We need to take them seriously. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation or trouble and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That began to happen. Before the end of the week, he was destroyed. His followers were so afraid that they denied that they even knew him. They ran off and abandoned him. But hallelujah, resurrection day came. We're going to celebrate that next week. But as the church began to spread with the good news of his resurrection, the persecution increased and continues to this day. Verse 10, then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Boy, do we have this sign in our country today. Families busting up, in-laws and outlaws and exes from Texas, and people offended. Sometimes I think we need to change our country from the USA to the OSA. I'm a citizen of the offended states of America. Everybody with a chip on their shoulder looking for a reason to be offended, looking for a reason to label somebody with something that gives them the upper hand in shaming others. Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Boy, we're seeing that today. If it's not a spiritual false prophet, it's a political false prophet. There's more conspiracy theories going around than you can shake a stick at. And the spiritual prophets are all over the chart with their predictions. You know, I don't mind so-called prophets making mistakes, but when they don't apologize and try to spiritualize and defend themselves or continue making hundreds of more predictions without stopping, that bothers me. I think it's time for all so-called New Testament prophets to return to their New Testament assignment as defined in Ephesians 4, which says that Jesus gave apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers to the church. They're his gift. What for? For making wild predictions? No. For equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So, folks, let's exercise our gifts to equip people and to make them effective for ministry and not to distract them. But even the existence of such distractions is the fulfillment of prophecy. For Jesus said, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. 
Verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. There's people that don't seem to even have a conscience. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Hence our topic today, the end is not yet. This is the time to endure, and salvation is coming. We're saved spiritually already, but we will be saved eternally with new bodies when the Lord returns. So till that time comes, there are seasons we must endure, and we're in such a season now. Verse 14, this is exciting. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world to all the nations, and then the end will come. So what will be the sign of the end of the age? The gospel of the kingdom being preached in all the world. There are more people proclaiming the gospel across the world over the airwaves and the internet, through satellite and computer technology and smartphones than we had ever dreamed of doing. So this is happening in our day. I always said TV ministry may not do it because of the language barrier, but there are people who speak all the languages of the world who have smartphones all over the world that are proclaiming the gospel today. So this is an exciting time in which we live. So do you want the Lord to return? Do you want to be ready for the end? Let's get busy proclaiming the Lord's gospel to the world. Next, I believe the Lord answered the, next, the first question. He started with the last, what will be the sign of the end? And then he went to the first, tell us when will these things be? The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. This question related to his lament in chapter 23 and his prediction at the beginning of 24. He said in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then there's a parenthesis, whoever reads, let him understand. In other words, don't come up with some wild theory. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, here's the Messiah, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. I believe verse 15 to 25 was fulfilled in 70 AD. If you study the destruction of the temple, you'll learn about false prophets and false messiahs. You'll learn about earthquakes. It's in the writings of Josephus as well. In fact, because of these words of Jesus, no believers were killed. When Jerusalem began to be surrounded by the Romans, they got out. They didn't wait to see if their government could negotiate new terms for them. They knew destruction was coming as our Lord had predicted. This is why he wept over the city. 
when he wept over the city, it was 40 years prior, around 30 AD, and he wept over the children. And I dare say the children in 30 AD were the adults with their own children and grandchildren in 70 AD, and the Lord had wept for them in their youth because of what was going to happen. These statements are also recorded in Luke 21, where Luke remembers or was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit's inspiration what Jesus also said. He said, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. If you remember the story of Jesus casting the demons out of the man who was chained in the graveyard, the scriptures say he went to a region called Decapolis, which means ten cities. And history records that the Christians who fled Jerusalem when Rome began to surround it, they went into those ten cities where this man's testimony had prepared them to hear the gospel if it had not already been heard first. So it's a great story. Through the Lord's deliverance, provision was made for them in advance. Recently, we learned from an Israeli rabbi that in some rabbinic literature, they honor Simon Peter because they credit him for the saving of many Jewish lives prior to this destruction of the city by the Romans. So while they may not have been believers in Jesus as their Messiah, they heeded his warning as a prophet, and their lives were spared, and Simon Peter is honored to this day. The Lord continues in verse 26 to 31 by addressing the second concern, which was what will be the sign of your coming. He talked about what will be the sign of the end, the signs of the end times, the sign of the end of the age of the world, and talked about when will these things be, the destruction of the city and the temple. And now he's going to talk about what's the sign of his return. He said, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out or look. He is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. When the Lord returns, it's not going to be hidden in some secret revelation or some secret place where people have to travel and journey, but he's going to encircle the globe from the east to the west like lightning. Verse 28 says, For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. I believe this refers to the great catching away. We'll be caught up to meet him in the air. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. It's an old hymn. It goes like this. We'll be caught up to meet him in the air, caught up his blessedness to share. Very soon he will come to take his people home, caught up to meet him in the air. The first verse. Though we may not know the moment when our blessed Lord shall come, to receive us to our mansions over there. Yet we know twill not be long before he takes his loved ones home, and we're caught up to meet him in the air. Oh, we're caught up to meet him in the air. We'll be caught up his blessedness to share. Very soon he will come 
to take his people home, caught up to meet him in the air. Look forward to that day when like eagles we'll be caught up to meet him in the air and we'll join those who've died before us in the air, according to Paul's writings. Verse 29 says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That's the great getting up morning. Fare thee well, fare thee well. In verses 32 to 35, I think Jesus goes back to the first question, which is about when the predicted destruction of Jerusalem and the temple will occur. Tell us when will these things be? Now learn this parable from the fig tree, verse 32, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. There's not some hidden meaning in this. It's simple. When you see plants start budding, fig trees, you know summer's coming. It's springtime, folks. And when you see these signs coming, like Rome surrounding the city, it's near. Get out of Dodge. Verse 33, so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The reason I believe that this was fulfilled in A.D. 70 is because the Lord said this generation will not pass away. So within 40 years, this prediction happened. The temple was destroyed, and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Take a trip to the Holy Land, and you can learn about these things. It happened in 70 AD. But don't get what happened in 70 AD mixed up with what's going to happen. Some say the gospel of the kingdom went to all the world for a witness, and then the end will come. They say it happened because of one verse. But the Bible says, let every word be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Do not take one verse and use it to make a doctrine for all time. The gospel of the kingdom had not reached the whole world. It had not. There's still people on their earth today that haven't heard the name of Jesus. So don't dodge your obedience to the Great Commission by thinking it was already done in 40 years. Amazing things happened by 70 AD, but there's more work to be done then and now. Before teaching parables about the eternal significance of our being ready for the Lord's return, as Jesus continues here in chapter 24, he addresses this question, what will be the sign of your coming? Once again, he talks about that day. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so will also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was going to come and break in, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour in which you do not expect. Now, since this time, there have been plenty of people that have made predictions for the Lord's return. Some have even said he already has returned. Some said he returned in 70 AD. I don't know what they're waiting on, but the point is we're spreading the gospel of the kingdom and we are waiting on his return. And when he does, the dead in Christ first will rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain will be got up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. After these answers to these three questions and teaching by way of parables about the eternal significance of our being ready for his return, parables like the parable of the talents and parables like where there would be a day of reckoning for what you have done with the Lord, what the Lord has invested in you, parable of the ten virgins where five were wise and had their lamps lit and were ready for the great wedding and five were foolish and they were not ready. Parables like that or about being ready for the Lord's return, the Lord continues talking about his return and the coming day of judgment. In light of these things, how should we now be living? This is a so what moment. We've talked about signs of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, signs of the Lord's return and of the end, but how shall we then live? How can we be ready for his coming? That's what I would like to talk about. Remember, our subject is the end is not yet. How can we be ready for his return? By pursuing a closer walk with the Lord? By desiring his presence while worshiping? Reading his principles and listening? We want to read the word and listen for God to speak to us. We want to not just sing, but we want to pursue his presence while we're worshiping and honoring him. We want to seek his will earnestly through praying. It's not my will, but thy will be done. We want to seek that. We want to serve his family and our families faithfully. And very importantly, we want to share his love so that all can know him. So in your making post and in your sharing, make sure you're not giving more time to conspiracy theories and to angry events and not to the gospel of the kingdom. We have the world's attention. Let's not waste it. A word to the wise should be sufficient. I want to conclude by emphasizing once again, seeking his will earnestly through praying. Last week, we talked about dealing with the hindrances to our prayers. Some people don't pray because their prayers are hindered. 
I'm not going to preach that message again, but it is there available for you on demand on our website, Facebook, and YouTube. So by all means, please listen to that and be inspired to pray prayers that are effective. One of the things we talked about was the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the Lord taught that prayer to his disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. He taught that to them in answer to their request, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, pray in this manner. And this is the components of effective prayer. Honoring God, our Father who art in heaven, recognizing him for who he is, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying for what is happening in heaven to be happening on earth. There's no pestilences in heaven, so we pray for protection from pestilences here on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. We ask for his daily provision. We trust him with his provision. And we pray for forgiveness. And we pray about our forgiving others. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So you come back around to praise and honor the Lord. Now, here's our church secretary, Lori Zeger, who's been working diligently and faithfully during this season. And she told me recently, you know, I've been praying the pattern of the Lord's Prayer for months. I said, could you please make a video and just share with us how you do it, what you do? So here's Lori Zeger sharing with us how she applies this prayer to her personal life. This is how I pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. At this point, I stop and I start naming the names of God, that he is Elohim, powerful God. He's creator. He is El Elyon, God most high. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's Jehovah Rapha, my healer. He is El-Rohi, the God who sees the beginning from the end. Then I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And at this point, I start naming off the people I love, my family members, my husband, that, that God's kingdom comes in his life and his will be done in my husband's life. Then I start naming my family, my father, my 89-year-old father, that God's kingdom will come in his life and his will be done to the rest of my family in California. Then I start naming my children, that God's kingdom will come to all three of my children. And then I start naming my grandchildren, that God's kingdom will come and God's will be done in my grandchildren's life. Then 
I move on to give us this day our daily bread. And at this point, I start asking and I ask for God to supply me with the needs that I need for just for today. I don't need to pray about what I need for tomorrow. I'll pray that tomorrow. But I pray for my needs for today. Then uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So God already knows the sin, my sins. He already knows what's in my heart, but I still confess it. And then if I feel hurt or betrayed and I'm holding sin against somebody else, unforgiveness against somebody else, then I pray that God will forgive them and that I will forgive them. And lead us not into temptation. God knows the wickedness in my heart and he knows what, uh, what I want to do that's not in his will. And so I pray that God will uh, help me not to be tempted in the areas that I'm tempted. Then thine is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. We have the kingdom again. I praise him for his kingdom and for his power and for his glory in my life. The end is not yet. So what do we do in the meantime? We worship him, desiring, encountering his presence. We read his principles, desiring his word for our lives, listening for his voice to speak to us. We seek his will earnestly through praying, biblically through praying. The pattern of the Lord's Prayer makes it so easy. Anyone can do it. And we serve his family and our families faithfully. Do it. Do not waste this time of being shut in by getting bored and complaining, but use this time effectively. Some of you maybe haven't been discipling your children very much. You've been depending on the school system to teach them, and now it's on your shoulders. Maybe some of you are going to begin to homeschool your kids in ways where you don't want to stop and the destiny of your kids are going to be affected for generations to come because of this season. So look on the possible bright side. Some people have depended on the church or their church membership to disciple their children. In reality, the church exists to supplement the ministry of the parents. No one can disciple your kids like you can. In fact, I do not believe that the church would have fallen into the dark ages had parents not continued discipling their children in the gospel and in the ways of the Lord. And of course, we do not want to miss opportunities to share his love with the world in which we live. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would impact your people in such a way that they would pursue you daily. Lord, that they would have what the old-timers called family devotions, Lord, that they would have quiet times and loud times with one another, listening to good music and making good music and watching things that are edifying and discipling their kids and encouraging one another in Jesus' name. You know, there's a lot of controversy out there because of what our government has come and done and asking us to not... Uh, assemble together as believers when the scripture tells us we're supposed to. But I want to encourage you 
to think beyond the, the old interpretation of the word assembling together. Let me look at you. The word assemble means more than gathering. It means every part coming together. I have here on my wrist a watch that has been assembled. And I dare say there is a difference in having the parts of this watch in a bag. I've got them gathered together, but it wouldn't keep time. This is a timely word for someone. There's a difference between having the parts of a watch gathered together and assembled. May we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's more than gathering, but that's each member of the body of Christ doing its part. May each of you find your part. May each of us, may I find the part I'm not fulfilling that God has called me to. May we all be faithful in manning our battle stations in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to promote something before I speak a blessing over you. There's an amazing series of films on the life of Jesus called The Chosen. It is made here in Texas. In fact, the Sea of Galilee scenes were made right here in Benbrook, Texas, on Lake Benbrook. And it is very, very classy. So I'm going to conclude with a blessing. We're going to see a trailer, and then it's going to be time for Kids Church. So thank you so much for joining us for Church Online. Watch this trailer about The Chosen, and stay tuned for Kids Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God Almighty lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you. My son, they've run out of wine. Mother, my time has not yet come. If not now, when? Father. It has begun. What has? Miracles. Signs and wonders. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You have experienced a miracle, Mary. I saw him. It was incredible. Our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven. Who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The man has a following. He's a rogue who answers to no one. You asked me before if I knew his name. Now everyone knows his name and I fear for his safety. Throw this down for a catch. Do you think that impossible things can happen? That overturn the laws of nature? <laughs> that cannot be explained. Rise. 
Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. This is different. Get used to different. My whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, Nicodemus, and you'll see more. God loves the world in this way, that he gave his only son. I'm going to tell everyone. <laughs> I was counting on it. Anything is possible now. Don't you see? Let's go. I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Hey, it's Dallas, I'm the creator of The Chosen, and yes, season one of The Chosen is complete. All eight episodes, they're available right now. You can look up The Chosen in the App Store or Google Play, and we're easy to find. You can download it and be watching within minutes. And in fact, it's unprecedented technology. You can connect to almost any device you have directly, and you don't even need a subscription. So I hope you check out season one of The Chosen right now.